This episode of The Hash is sponsored by CypherTrace, a MasterCard company. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to Coindesk TV. You're watching The Hash. I'm Zach Seward. We got David, we got Jed, we got Wendy. We were talking about LASIK procedures and we were fudding LASIK procedures before the show. If only good times. All right, let's get going. When it rains, it pours in the world of crypto. There's a lot of offshoring going on, folks. Coinbase announced today that it was opening its offshore crypto derivatives exchange. If you remember, this was announced some weeks back that they were going to be based in Bermuda offering more exotic financial products than are currently <laughs> available in the U.S. We talked to Premier David Byrd about this just last week at Consensus. Also announced today, Gemini, the one by the Winklevibe twins, they're also launching an offshore derivatives platform, again, to escape the looming prospect of further regulatory crackdown. All these U.S. crypto exchanges are a bit miffed that they can't offer the services that the crypto world demands of them. So they're going elsewhere. They're going offshore. We're going to talk about it here on The Hash. Let me talk to, let me talk to uh, David. This phenomenon, what's going on? Is this to be expected? Uh, I, I think it's to be expected, but it's not clear to me exactly why we should have expected it. It's specifically, it's unclear whether this is a particularly real thing or if particularly in Coinbase's case, they might be doing a little bit of signaling for political gain because they are trying to make the case that the SEC's push recently and the alleged wider push to debank crypto companies in a sort of extrajudicial way is going to result in people moving important businesses offshore. And so here they are doing it, at least apparently. So they might be adding pressure to Gary Gensler and other regulators at the same time that they are genuinely opening up a, a new um, revenue not necessarily a totally new revenue opportunity, but a revenue safety valve, a backup that they will have in case things really go bad in the U.S. Yeah, a lot of politics and business uh, mixing up together here, I guess, is my assessment. Yeah, David, I agree with you. You know, Coinbase has been really public about trying to work with regulators. You know, they are registered in the U.S. They are a public company and still the regulators keep coming for them. I think this is definitely a political signal, but it's also them diversifying their business because they don't know what's going to happen, right? They have a Wells notice in front of them. They're not exactly sure what's going to happen next. And the fact that they continuously make public what's happening, I think I've said this before in the show, shows frustration. When we go over to Gemini, they're another company that's been really communicative with regulators, right? Then they were sued by the CFTC. They were charged by the SEC. And now they're doing the same thing. They're going overseas. I think it's interesting when we look at this and then we look at the Bermuda Premier who was on the hash last week, who's also taking to the public stage and saying, if you're a company like Coinbase, like Gemini, come to Bermuda. Our regulation is clear. It's very clear what you can and cannot do in our country. And so I think everyone is taking advantage of this like regulatory mess we have in the US right now. And it's kind of sad. I do wonder though, you know, if US citizens can access these products some way, shape, or form if the SEC is going to overreach and try and do the same thing they're doing here in the U.S., regardless of where these products are set up. Wendy? 
Yeah, I wouldn't have a comment on that because I am a law-abiding citizen. I also pay all of my taxes, especially my crypto taxes. I actually overpaid the IRS for 2021, I believe. <laughs> Anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, I do think that this was this is kind of a nothing burger to see big giants like Coinbase and Gemini kind of set up shop overseas. A very good friend of mine, Mark Moss, he's always said, he actually taught me this term, go where you're treated best. Why would a business stay in the United States of America when there's no type of like welcoming? There's no type of regulations. It's a very hostile environment to do business. So it makes, I mean, you guys have to understand too, and audience is that Coinbase and Gemini, they're businesses. They are probably some of the most compliant crypto service providers in the United States of America. They're consistently registering. They're consistently working with regulators, et cetera. Why would they, why would they just place all their bets that everything is going to get settled in the US when it's clearly not right now? And even if it was, it's still going to take quite a bit of time for things to get absolutely sorted here because we have so much red tape and because of all the, the different types of entities you have to go through to get anything done. So I think this was a smart move business-wide. It sucks for US retail. It sucks for people like me. It sucks for people like in my community. But at the same time, go where you are treated best. And hopefully the United States of America understands that. But I think we are too far gone for that. And I think it was Zach's hand that was up. Yeah, I wanted to you know, focus on kind of the business line question. I think it makes a ton of sense, especially in this market, right? Like we're in a market where it's really the crypto diehards, it's the survivors who are here still, right? Who are using these exchanges. And these are people who love crazy stuff. They love Bitcoin perps. They love 5X leverage. And that's what Coinbase has long not been able to offer. So they're doing so by going offshore. You're seeing Gemini. They tried to do this in the US, I think dating back to 2020, but they ultimately uh, kind of revoked their own application under the understanding that it wasn't going to happen. So now they're saying, okay, well, this is what the diehards want. This is what the people in crypto winter are here for. It's not quite that time where people, new users are flooding onto these platforms to trade crypto. So you better be able to offer the products that the crowd are willing to toy with. And that's what Coinbase and Gemini are doing here at a time when they need to, you know, in, especially in Coinbase's case, show to stockholders that people are actually using this thing. But yeah. David, your thoughts. Let me squeeze in one last quick comment, which is there is a downside here. And I say this as a Coinbase user, which people who know my history might be surprised to learn, um, which is once you have an entity offshore, that does, at least in my mind, raise risks for the company in the United States. So as somebody who custodies a not large amount of money with Coinbase, I might be making more moves to not do that anymore um, because they now have this offshore entity, which does raise the possibility of activities going on outside of the purview of U.S. regulators and oversight. Um, and so that does raise some slight concerns. So I will just note that as a down, a, a potential downside for the company, Zach. I like Jen's point before I throw it to her for the next story about whether or not if one user accesses this from the U.S. by way of VPN, Gary yep. Gensler is going to go get their asses. I'm very, that was a very good point. Anyway, you, Jen. You said the A word. <laughs> Sorry. These are Gary Gensler hands. It's just coming for you. <laughs> okay, let's, let's move on. DCG CFO Michael Crane stepped down in April as the company repaid a $350 million loan. According to a letter to shareholders, the company reported first quarter revenue of $180 million. That's 63% up from the fourth quarter of last year as crypto prices rose. We all know that they've been Rising in the first quarter, Disclosure DCG is Coindesk's parent company. David, I'm passing this off to you. What do you make of this? Michael was there for two years. He's gone now. Well, I actually had a question that was not answered in the story, and, and maybe it's not clear at all, but do we know who this loan was to? 
I mean, this is not the, obviously, the the Gemini funds. Did anybody see anything? Or is this just like we repaid a loan? At any rate, I guess we don't know the answer to that. Uh, but this is good news, obviously. For those who aren't clear, we also have uh, DCG working on some issues with Gemini, who DCG through uh, Genesis, its subsidiary, was helping Gemini manage an earned product and close down withdrawals. For anybody who's a little bit confused about why one might have gotten repaid first, it's this whole thing that was talked about at the time where if you actually make a deposit with a crypto company, for the most part, you are not a creditor. You're actually loaning that uh, money or you're, you're sort of, they have rights to that money. Um, and so this is a senior unsecured note. So it is higher on the stack of DCG debts than the Gemini stuff. And also it's a subsidiary. So it's a complicated thing there. But either way, uh, DCG is, is making money to, to pay back their loans. That's a good thing. Zach, you want to jump in? Yeah, I just wanted to jump in, add on to that, you know, not the only departure, right? We saw Samantha Bobot leave for another VC firm. I think it was Rockaway. We saw Casey Taylor leave for another VC firm, I believe it's Dragonfly. So certainly uh, across the DCG stack, people are leaving and finding opportunities elsewhere as DCG really focuses on fixing this problem that is staring it smack in the face. So, you know, the venture activity, I think, is quieted down a little bit. So if you're heading a platform there, you probably want to find somewhere else to work. Um, and we've seen that with some key departures in recent months, mm-hmm. in addition to the CFO uh, also stepping down. So, yeah, DCG has some big problems to solve right now. And I think, um, you know, the fact that they are focusing on uh, some of these some of these some of these debts uh, really speaks to the current condition of the company. They're, they're less able to do some of the more active investments that they've been known for doing uh, across the space over these last geez, six, seven, eight years. But yeah, w- wild one to see, especially given the timing with the Gemini stuff. Jen, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, let's, let's take a little walk down memory lane. DCG lost $1.2 billion in 2022. That was because declining crypto value and the Genesis bankruptcy. I believe Genesis is still going through that chapter 11. And despite that, they're predicting that they are headed towards a 2023 revenue of 620 million dollars. So sounds like, you know, some things could be turned around. Sounds like they're figuring things out internally. Wendy, want to get you in here. What do you think? Well, do you guys remember when I think it was FTX International, they randomly found like $7 billion, like in a, somebody's couch cushion somewhere. I think it was at S, SBF's um, parents' house. I'm just <laughs> kidding, guys. That is purely, it's purely a joke. Um, but kind of, I wanted to answer David's question for him, is that if we actually use blockchain technology, for any type of financial activity that happens at these big firms and even in traditional financial firms, you would actually be able to see where these loans are coming from, who they're loaning money mm-hmm. to, um, all of the different aspects. And that's why DeFi is so cool. And I just wish the United States was a little bit more open to accepting this technology and kind of implementing it into the laws and regulations because yes, there are bad things that can happen. Um, people make stupid choices because humans are emotional and that's not something I don't think could ever be fixed. But at the same time, we can use this technology for good and become a lot more transparent in what companies are doing, how they're spending their money, the loan sizes, the risk, et cetera. And if at the end of the day, that would actually help investors, institutional, accredited, and retail folks kind of get a better idea as to what they're invest- putting their money into before they do that. You know, Wendy, I was going to say, it's, it's so funny you bring that up, but I just want to like bring it home for you. The U.S. regulators say so much about transparency and clarity when it comes to these products, and the technology is sitting right in front of their faces, but they just continue pushing it further and further away. To close that out, Wendy, I know that you were a Celsius victim, I believe, and uh, they and many, actually, many more. 
<laughs> and many, many more. And the people who got it. repaid from Celsius, the people at both at the institutional and individual level who got repaid from Celsius for those who had made loans to Celsius on DeFi that they were forced to repay to get their collateral back. So just as an example. See? Guys, should we apply? Should we apply as the CFO? Should we become the CFO of DCG? Are we buying us? low? No, Are we're we actually going to. We're actually going to buy the company and rebrand it, and we're going to call yeah. it the hash, and we're going to put everything. Everything's going to be on chain, so you can literally track everything. So we're unfortunately, make it a I'm, I'm going to get caught. destroy so much value. So I'm going to get caught because unbelievable. I'm going to spend so many so many customer funds in tacos. So I'm going to get caught. I'm sorry. Yeah, guys. you're gonna to have to change your name to Barry O. Wendy. So when you when we do that, you're gonna be henceforth known as Barry O. instead of Wendy O. All right. I'll take it. Is identifying and mitigating crypto risk a challenge? Do you need help balancing compliance issues with the need to protect against fraud? CypherTrace, a MasterCard company, can help. They work with banks, governments, regulators, exchanges, and other crypto entities to identify risk, trace the movement of crypto funds, and help comply with global regulations. Visit CypherTrace.com today for more information. We have some really genuinely interesting and, uh, dare we say, bullish news. Uh, Sports Illustrated is partnering with Polygon to launch an NFT ticketing platform. Uh, NFT ticketing is a concept that has been around for a long time. Some of the people affiliated with uh, Monero and Yat tried to do something similar all the way back in 2019. Um, And it makes a lot of sense on its face. If you're the issuer, you can, especially on a layer two like Polygon, issue tickets relatively cheaply, uh, distribute them digitally, and make sure that there are only the same number that you want there to be. So I find this really interesting and exciting. We can talk more about what uh, Sports Illustrated actually is these days. But has anybody actually used an NFT ticket at any point yet? Because I know they exist. Like the POAPs? I used one at NFT NYC last year to get into an event. I don't remember anything about it, but it was like, it was, all I remember was it was pretty easy. There was no kind of user issue. And I have a lot of issues when it comes to (laughs) these things. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely an endorsement. It does have to be easy. I will say, I think that this is really cool. I think ticketing and NFTs go hand in hand. I just remember listening to my daughter's father talk about all the cool concerts he went to like way back in the 90s. And he doesn't have any of those tickets because they were paper. So I feel like it would be super cool to see somebody's history of every single event that they went to. Um, I know I'm talking about music, but even like in relation to sports, like sports people are die hard fans. Like these guys go absolutely bonkers. So for them to be like, oh my God, I went to this, I went to that, I went to that. I just think it'd be super cool, especially for a sports fan. And I even think that there could potentially be a secondary market to buy those as like memorabilia later on to, or sell them to somebody just because the secondhand market for a lot of the sports memorabilia, rock memorabilia, all that stuff, um, people will buy used tickets, all of that jazz. So I'm bullish. I love it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I love that it's on Matic Polygon. Full disclosure, I am invested in this project. But the reason why I'm bullish on it is because um, they did something similar with Starbucks and it is very affordable and they're making it kind of easy to use. So I think it's super cool. Jen? Yeah. So I want to talk about the ticketing industry, right? It's one that is just ripe for disruption. If you think about all of the drama around Ticketmaster lately when it comes to pricing, fan demand, it having this like monopolistic hold on live events, and you think about the offering that NFT tickets 
can offer to fans. I think it just makes sense. We talk about these music NFT projects so often and they have, you know, their community built in. But like, if you want to go to the concert, you have to buy your tickets from a different platform. I think to have all of this under one umbrella, if we can get the user experience right, it makes a lot of sense. Wendy, you mentioned the Polygon partnership. They're also partnering with Consensus on this, who I think the last time we spoke about Consensus raised a massive round. I think it was over $400 million. I stand to be corrected. And they said they were focusing on UI and mainstream adoption. So I think like mm. for them to partner on this project totally makes sense. They have a ton of money to do it. And I'm excited to see these fan experiences actually reach the masses. Because let's be honest, we talk about it so much. We talk about how cool it is. But I think it's still the crypto natives who are participating in these and maybe not those diehard fans out there yet. I mean, I just want to say POAPs are cool. And also I am, you know, generally bullish on the idea of having these be keepsakes, right? I don't know about a secondary market. I think maybe one day, but I think just generally as a keepsake, oh, I was at this thing. I was at this thing. I was at this thing. Crypto natives have long had that kind of with POAPs, right? You go, you go here, you do a quest and you get a POAP and you know, POAPs don't have secondary value, right? There's nothing really that trades as it relates to POAPs, but you do have like a cool record associated with your wallet address of what you've done and where. And I think that is something that, you know, if the UI is made simple enough, could have mainstream appeal, right? We're all sort of nostalgic saps. We like to know where we were and what we experienced and with whom. And I think that NFT ticketing does represent the possibility for that to happen in a really cool way. So yeah, I, I want to see more experiments like that. We've seen early experiments with, uh, I think it was Block Party. There was a couple other folks uh, in the past who've tried this stuff out, um, but it may have been a bit too early. So if it takes some of these mainstream brands to sort of move the needle, I'm all for it. But you know, to date, it hasn't really been embraced just yet. Before I go into my story, because my story is very interesting, I do want to say that the current way that we use NFT, like with a lot of these profile picture NFT projects, you actually have to own a specific NFT to get a ticket to go into an event. And that's very problematic for me. And the reason why it's problematic is because like, if you have an NFT that is worth quite a bit of money, you don't want to keep that on your mobile device. It drives me absolutely crazy to see people in the NFT industry do that. I'm like, you guys, you're not like, you have to practice good OPSEC. That is the worst OPSEC ever. So I feel like there has to be a way that you can prove that you own X NFT, but without having it on your phone and without really having to do too much work into your wallet and compromise your collection. I will say one thing that is still kind of janky is the token gating experience, right? So I think that still needs to be addressed. You know, you need to make that more seamless. And I think that comes down at some level to wallet providers who build in that functionality to make it a bit more seamless because certainly now you got you got to verify you got to go to some other third-party service it becomes just this whole clunky process so that i think the aspect is still uh, a missing ingredient got to toss this to david for last thoughts on this one before we change gears uh my only last thought is this is an example of one of the downsides is possibly business model related obviously Ticketmaster's margins are immense here but if you're really building an nft ticketing platform the idea should be to take as little money as possible because you want the issuers to be handling all of this themselves, at least in theory. Um, and so there is, I think, an open question as to if you're the one who uh, owns the ticketing platform, whether it's an NFT or not, do you then have a motivation to rack up your own fees or do you build it in such a way where it's actually usable by anybody and still maintain some of the same features? So I think the business model is, is a big lingering question here. So I'll just leave it at that. And I think Wendy has our next story about not quite NFTs, but pretty NFT adjacent. 
So the next story is what are BRC20 tokens? So I didn't know that this is what it stood for. So I just learned something today on the hash. Um, but Bitcoin requests for comment. That's what BRC means. And apparently the token surged to $137 million in market value. Um, and they're basically built with ordinals and stored on the Bitcoin base chain. Um, pseudonymous on-chain analyst Domo created the token standard in March to facilitate the issue and transfer of fungible tokens on the Bitcoin blockchain. The creation came weeks after Ordinal's protocol went live. Ordinal's protocol allows users to inscribe digital art references into small transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain. Maxis absolutely hate this. And I'm sure they are just <laughs> reeling right now because we created some beautiful S coins on the Bitcoin chain. <laughs> we need Will. We need to dial need in George. This yeah. is some nonsense. <laughs> what is this? What is this? Do you want me to go what on? This? Nonsense I, I this is it up. not good. It's not okay. nonsense. It's got some potential, but there are problems with the state of it right now. The important thing to keep in mind is that these tokens on Bitcoin cannot interact with any form of DeFi known demand. You can't use them on Ethereum. And as far as I understand, even like Stacks or any of the uh, decentralized DeFi on Bitcoin attempts, these don't interact. So if you have a token that can't be used in any DeFi system, but it's also not Bitcoin, then what exactly is it for other than just what Wendy was just alluding it, to? It's literally to piss the maxis off and I'm so here for it. I've got a technical yeah. question for you when you're... Can I ask now? Okay, so I, this is what, I haven't used Bitcoin ordinals yet because it's a little bit right over my head, but I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. But I remember reading that with a Bitcoin ordinal, you have to have a separate wallet address for each Bitcoin ordinal and don't have large amounts of Bitcoin there because if you sell or if you transfer or do anything with the ordinal, you could lose everything in the wallet. But I'm not sure. I haven't heard that, but it certainly sounds plausible. I mean, ordinals are incredibly technically complex right now and they don't have like the kind of front end that makes it easier for them to use. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I hadn't heard that specific thing, but I know there are a ton of hoops to jump through for ordinals and I'm sure even more so for these things. I mean, I will, I will answer your question, David. What are these things? They're meme coins. And meme coins are all of a sudden super cool. We had Pepe coin <laughs> rally. So they're like, these are meme coins. They don't do anything. They don't do DeFi. You can't interact smart contracts, whatever. They're just meme coins. And so I think meme coins on Bitcoin, on sacred, sacred, the Bitcoin blockchain. On I don't sacred know. ground. Oh, my God. I it don't is know. Bitcoin really is supposed to stand for liberty and it's supposed to be able to be used know. however you want to use it. I don't think Satoshi created Locked Bitcoin to tell people what they can and can't do. When I think of Bitcoin, I literally think of liberty. And when I talk to brand new people about Bitcoin that have never really heard about crypto brand new, that's how I explain it is it can be anything you want it to be. And I ask them about well, the different types of you know, problems that they have in their life. And we come up with solutions that Bitcoin can potentially fix. And I use that same type of strategy yeah. when I'm explaining altcoins or NFTs, because the moral of the story is, is onboarding people and you want to do it in a way to where it improves their quality of life. So if a Bitcoin ordinal helps somebody somewhere do something, then the job is done. We've done it properly. And sincerely, I am actually on that team. Like I think these, these developments in Bitcoin are good as long as they don't compromise security. But that being said, you know, S-coin speculation is pure gambling. Go into it with that mindset. Be careful. Wow. Well, you know what? I'm feeling curmudgeonly. I wish that we had some maxis on the show to, to back you. <laughs> Liberty-loving, decentralized. This was, a, this was a janky show because it was super one-sided and we didn't have Will here to like um, bully us. 
It's or okay. George. George okay. Jordan, the one we needed for this segment. I can I can only I can only channel that vibe so much, but it's pure. <laughs> George would be into it. George. He loves pissing off Nazis. Yeah, yeah, I told George we're going to create. I'm going to. Me and George are going to create a BRC20 token called duress because I like to give him headaches. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that in any way, shape, or form. It's just a joke, guys. <laughs> All right, we're aping into the duress coin, guys. Let's get ready. All right, that's it for the show today. Uh, I'm Zach. We got Jen. We got Wendy. We got David. We're the hash today. We'll be back tomorrow with more great shows here on Coindesk TV and the Coindesk Podcast Network, where you can also find David's great work on crypto crooks. Check it out. Really Thank cool so talk at Consensus featuring the crypto crooks and someone from the inside of Terraform Labs. Super cool. Check out that video as well. Anyway, that's it for the show today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You have a great day. We'll see you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 